Hey guys, welcome back to my listen. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say bi-weekly. <laughs> I like uh, I had my lips together going, but I couldn't I couldn't segue into <laughs> monthly. So I just... <laughs> oh, okay, it has okay. been bi-weekly to be fair for a, for a little bit, but okay, okay. Yeah, and you're you're sleep deprived, so your brain isn't entirely there yet. The time zone has shifted to about a year ago when. <laughs> When we did these <laughs> bi-weekly. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to My Listen, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom and the characters. I am the Snowfox. And I'm Zan Credible. And today we have another episode review for you. We are reviewing season two, episode 12, The Fires of Ida Sholas and... I'm really excited to talk about this episode. I'm sure Alex is equally excited to talk about this episode. But before we get into all of that, we've got all sorts of other things to cover first. We have a talk back today uh, that we are going to do from our lovely friend Anne, who loves to post lovely, like in-depth feedback on a lot of our episodes, and we're always so grateful for it. Thank you very much, Anne. And this one is coming to us from the episode review that we did of The Once and Future Queen Season 2, Episode 2. And this is what she had to say. When I was listening to you guys talk about the kiss scene and that it felt it came out of nowhere, especially after their several fights, the first thought I had was, maybe that's, i.e. the arguing, Arthur's thing. But when I think of it, maybe the reason why Arthur kisses Gwen is because the whole episode revolves around him being frustrated that his whole life, people have treated him in a certain way they think he expects them to treat him. He possibly felt very lonely when he realises that everyone he thought he was close to, including Leon, was actually holding back from him. After spending two nights in Gwen's house, probably the most time he spent with only her, and being confronted by her so frankly, he maybe felt attracted to her because she's the first person to speak to him so honestly, when she doesn't have to. In his identity crisis at that time, that may have caused him to surprise himself by kissing her. Keep in mind Arthur's comment in The Queen of Hearts that he wonders what life would be like as a farmer. I think he often fantasises about life without strict rules and restrained relationships of court. Maybe he thought that Gwen could provide that escape for him. Alex has some thoughts, I think. I mean, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's not a bad point. And something that I was thinking of when I read this comment was that Arthur's used to being criticised by people he cares about. So, like, Uther criticises him. Morgana criticizes him. Merlin criticizes him all the time. And like Uther is his father, obviously. Morgana and Merlin might have been a love interest, but the show forgot about Morgana in season two. And Merlin was, as far as the writers were concerned, never a real option. So naturally, the next person to criticize him is Gwen. And she is A, a woman, and B, not related to him by blood or adoption. So just like Merlin fell for Freya because she was someone he thought understood him who wasn't his family or his dead ex or his exiled ex or in season three, his other exiled ex. Arthur thinks he's in love with Gwen because to him being loved means being criticized, like having people who openly tell him that he's an idiot. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. And that's why he kisses her because he's like, okay, she nags me. She's not related to me. Oh my God. She's the love of my life. Yeah. I think, um, look, what I think is really important here is a distinction necessarily between like romance and attraction, right? And obviously they can be linked and mo most of the time they are, especially in like love stories. But I think that if we're talking about it from the perspective of like, you know, she gave him a hard time, 
kind of started looking at her differently you know thought he found her attractive and then decided to kiss her because he was attracted to her which you know most guys would you know have thought that way i would probably have been on board with this but like because of the way the scene is portrayed to us like you said alex it's a very love of my life kind of moment and it's staged that way and it's very very purposefully done that way because we know what these characters will end up becoming and yet i don't i don't feel the build up to such a moment like that now if the kiss um in this episode like i keep saying this if the kisses from sweet dreams and this had been flipped over like the kiss from sweet dreams for me was very much kind of like a much less epic kiss even though it was still staged beautifully but there was very subtle music um it wasn't you know slowed down it was a very simple kind of staging and there was no big light beam you know that and also just the way that they kissed it was very much more of a kiss of attraction and like a physical aspect as opposed to something really tender and beautiful and so I think you know if that had been the kind of kiss they had where it was kind of like you know I don't know grabbing by the shirt or whatever like obviously I don't know if Merlin would have done something like that but I would have got that but then again that's not what they were going for they didn't want Arthur and Gwen to be a sexy relationship you know they wanted it to be a lovey-dovey child-friendly they wanted it to be a child-friendly yeah they wanted it to be romantic and uh, poetic relationship you know which i don't begrudge like i think those relationships can be really beautiful like i think you know that's fine but um it just would more build up but i do appreciate what anna's saying that it is very much you know kind of in arthur's nature to be um thrown through a loop by people who don't treat him the way that he expects um yeah i just i just don't think there should have been a kiss here in general and i've said that from the beginning i wish that the kiss would have been at the end of season two the rest of the episode is fine like him having these realizations is fine but them leaving it on the on the token and the handkerchief or him kissing a hand just anything that was less soulmate behavior than what happened because yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. soulmate behavior that's not you know yeah. it's a bit that, too, that's too. It's very grand yeah. for something that comes out of nowhere. Exactly, it comes a bit for both out. of them. Like it comes out of nowhere for both of them. So yeah, I would very... have, I would have really appreciated. Um, yeah, just like yeah, just maybe a hand kiss or something, or even nothing. You know, just like just him leaving. I mean, that for me, you know, has so much more tension as well because it's like, uh, yeah, just even from a writing perspective, you don't want to give the you know the audience the kiss right away you want to make them wait for it and i and i get it looks beautiful but just shove it somewhere else <laughs> put it put it in a different part of the show but no but i do like Anne's reasoning i think i think it's i think it's pretty solid um uh, she goes on to say as for gwen i'm not sure she probably thinks he's cute but we don't really get to know what she thinks right then except for the flustered smile and the handkerchief token Especially with the Lancelot and Guinevere episode later, I don't think Gwen was much involved in that first kiss as Arthur was. Overall, I think the kiss was mostly due to Arthur's present, probably one-sided, infatuation that was heightened due to the fact that Gwen's personality and the way she treated him was so fresh and unexpected. Yeah. It's basically kind of what we, yeah, we said. Yeah. yeah. Gwen maybe was flattered by Arthur's attention, like, you know, you can understand that. But I don't think she had real feelings for him at this point. Like, not real romantic feelings. At most, she had a bit of a crush, but I don't really read that from 
the rest of the episode, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, it's just a scene, really, isn't it? Because she is behaving yeah. like a girl with a crush. Like, there's yeah. like there, there is nothing else you can call it because I wouldn't give someone a token like a handkerchief for them to wear on their armor you know just for the for the shits and giggles that's something you do if you're kind of like putting the moves on someone so she is trying to kind of put the moves on him but it doesn't make sense considering that like all he's done for the entire episode is piss her off and then have one moment where he's kind of tried to show her his true colors by saying he cares about her but I don't know. I hope Gwen's not that easy to fall for that kind of stuff because that's yeah. a little bit like I can sort of see her going like once Arthur has kissed her, her going like, oh, OK, didn't think of him this way before, but I sure do now. Um, but yeah, I don't really see it before that, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's so. a bit a bit out of nowhere, as as we've as we've said, Um and then finally, an infatuation from Arthur that grows into tr true love, apparently, although that's the part I'm not quite sure about. But for me, no matter what the show creators intended with that first kiss, it feels much more dramatic due to the fact that Arthur is finally recognising that side of him that longs to be free from his burdens and restrictions and responsibilities, and to be different than what he's been raised to behave like, rather than Gwen and Arthur sharing a passionate moment of true love. I could see that. Um... I think it's a little bit of a stretch because it, the scene clearly is meant to be a love scene and the episode is a... Uh, the plot is driven... Oh, I don't know, because when we rewatched it, we did kind of go, actually, this is more about Arthur's journey, but it's so tinged with Arwen that it's hard to separate the two. It's yeah. just... Also, I feel like if we, uh, quote-unquote, reduce it to that... um. It makes Gwen even more of a prop in that episode than she already is. Uh, because then she's just a means father to realize that he wishes he could be free. And he could have figured that out from, like, I don't know, reading a book. I mean, it's not the same as true love, though, is it? No, but, like, it's, you know, the argument is that he realizes... Um, because of Gwen that he would rather be free of responsibilities and live a simple life as a farmer which I'm, I don't think Arthur has thought this through but anyway um, it's just you know to me it feels like that just makes Gwen a prop and it doesn't like I can't explain it better than that no, 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 I absolutely agree although I think, like, even if you don't reduce it to that, I would still argue she is a prop. Like, she. Oh, this, yeah. Like, this entire episode, and I would argue up until, like, if you remove Lancelot and Guinevere from the entire Arwen canon that is uh, season two, up until roughly Sweet Dreams, and even possibly including Sweet Dreams, the entire plot of Arthur's, like, the entire reason why the Arwen plot exists is to progress Arthur's plot and Gwen exists yeah. to progress Arthur's plot and yeah. doesn't really apart from and this is why I do really like Lancelot and Guinevere and I like Lancelot as a character because whatever we think about Lancelot like and his choices that he made and leaving and whatever you know Gwen is a proactive um member in that relationship and that she mm -hmm. 
shows her attraction to him very early on she's clearly crushing on him and flustered by him she's the one who asks him to stay she's the one who pines after him and then in Lancelot Guinevere she not only is you know very actively involved in whatever you know traumatic experience they're sharing together but she's the one that kisses him and that's such a departure from anything that she's had not only with Arthur but with Merlin earlier on in the series that it kind of feels like she's really in it for me like it feels like she wants to be there um mm-hmm. whereas Arthur yeah it kind of feels like she's being swept away on the ride yeah whether she wants to or not yeah especially with this kiss I mean you know I would argue that the kiss is a lot longer in the episode than it is obviously in real time because it is slowed down significantly. So it literally was a peck. Like he gave her a peck on the lips. And if it had been played real time, I think we would have probably maybe thought it was not as epic <laughs> because like, I don't know how many seconds of real real time it is, but yeah, he just leans down and gives her a peck on the lips. But because of the way that it's filmed and we get the backlight, it feels- And the dramatic music. Yeah, yeah. But literally, Don't forget like, the music. Like if we had the camera on the other side of them, for example, where the window is, and we didn't have the backlight, and we had it in real time, and we didn't have like the super close up or anything like that, or the music, it would literally just be a. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. Would- nothing else so maybe we're just you know this is the magic of movie making i guess you can you know make things into something they're not like you know show us the real footage bbc's but yeah i uh, challenge i challenge m figori to put it back into real time oh i wonder if that would actually be possible that, uh, that's really interesting to me i would love to see i that. mean my my assumption as someone who has no idea about uh or almost no idea about uh vidding and so on is that you could just take the clip and speed it up you can absolutely i mean it might not look i don't know how it works doing it the opposite way around because i don't know why you would ever want to do this in film but like obviously when you shoot in slow motion you have to shoot it like physically shoot it on a different frame rate otherwise it basically goes blurry and a bit shit like that's what happens when you slow down like regular speed stuff so i don't know if you sped up things that are shot in a lower frame rate it would then end up like blurring as well but i really kind of want to see what this big epic kiss would look like you know if it wasn't looking the way that it is in the show that would be so interesting and make it happen you can do it you can do it your only hope <laughs> oh god Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, guys if you would like us to read your comment out on the podcast and react to it like we just did you need to go over to melison.prackerproductions.com to leave your comment that's where we read all of the comments that we choose to put into the actual episodes if you don't really care about us reading your comment on air or you just don't really want to comment on the website you can go to any of our social media channels and contact us through all the different ways there and we're melissa on all of them and that will include twitter and tumblr uh where you can go and you know dm retweet reblog whatever it is that you want to do uh we have an email which is melissa.podcast at gmail.com and we'll email you back if you would like to leave us some feedback that way you can leave us feedback reviews and ratings etc on itunes and also listen to us on there it's or just any app of your choice that you can listen to podcasts on 
Um, we have a Melissa Thingo, which you can play along with at home, where every time basically that we repeat ourselves or do something extremely predictable, you can tick it off and, you know, you might win a prize. So go ahead and play that with all of our episodes. And then we also have a Kofi account, the proceeds uh, of which um, all go to Black Lives Matter charities. And so if you want to support Black Lives Matter and you also want to do it in the vein of supporting Melissa even though it won't actually support us financially, but you can do it through your love of Merlin, then go ahead and leave some money in our Kofi account. And then, yeah, that will be uh, your good deed for the day. So yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out to the anonymous donator who left us a tip on Kofi mm-hmm. in either early September or late August. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, you are appreciated very yes. much. Yes. Uh, did you mention our Discord? I didn't, did I? I do apologize. Uh, hmm. We uh, And finally, we have a Discord server where we have all sorts of different channels for organizing guests or just having chats. And we have an episode reaction channel. So if you want to have more of a chatty environment to talk to us about what you've just listened to, you can go ahead and there. All of us are you know, usually fairly active when people are in there reacting. So yeah, go ahead. And the link to that will be on all of our social medias or just ask one of us. So yeah. And that is everywhere where you can find us. And so let us transition straight into the fires of Ida Sholas. Yes. You've got some things first, I imagine. Uh, well, first of all, of course, as always, is the episode summary from the Merlin Wiki. So, are you ready for this? I don't know how good it is because I never read those before I actually read them. <laughs> so... When the fires of Eder Sholas burn for the first time in 300 years, Gaius fierce as sorcerer has revived the deadly knights of Medea. Mogos returns, hell-bent on ending Uther's reign. With Morgana on her side, they are almost unstoppable. Dot, dot, dot. Which is funny because that's basically like only the first five minutes of the episode. <laughs> Which is, I guess... I mean, to be fair, there's not, like, all the rest of it is just... Um scrambling to undo this which is sort of implied yeah so uh here are the stats for this episode it first aired on the 12th of december in 2009 there are three female characters with lines all of them are main characters morgana gwen and morgos i mean gwen barely says anything she has like two sentences to say but at least she had lines mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there are six male characters with lines as always there are Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, Uther and Leon this time and then the herder whose name is Joseph another Joseph yeah yeah. without a tail this time presumably we didn't see one so no that was Jonas oh that was Jonas how dare right. you get my boy's name wrong <laughs> well I got the first syllable right and there was an S in there oh my god Poor Jonas with his tail and his weird hands. <laughs> yeah, so the dragon shows up famously in this episode. The uh, enemy of the week are, or enemies of the week, are Mogos and the Seven Knights of Midir. And then Merlin almost kills one person, and we all know who it is because it is Morgana. Yes. Um. So, overall impressions of this episode and i mean you can probably tell by my tone of voice i'm feeling very positive so (laughs) yeah i was about to say i feel like you probably have some thoughts on this so go right (laughs) ahead um well um 
Honestly, not only is this one of my favourite episodes of Merlin in the entire show, but I actually would go as far as to say that it's the most important episode in the whole show. Um, oh, yeah. I think that, I agree. That, and funny enough, even though I... When I watched it at the time, I always knew this was something special because it was the very first time that I really felt like there were not only serious consequences, and this is a word I'm going to be bringing up a lot in this review, is consequences for, for actual actions and uh, stakes. That's another word you're going to hear me use a lot. Real stakes, but also it felt as though things were about to change in a big way and not just going into the next episode, but what we didn't know at the time was that this would basically set up the rest of the conflict for all of Merlin. And Mm -hmm. it's so bizarre to think that an episode 12, you know, so early on in the show was a pivotal moment. And we have episodes like this in Merlin occasionally where the status quo just completely gets changed. I'd say um, the crystal cave is one and the desire is another one where you kind of have the oh shit moment where, Merlin actually manages to throw you through a loop because it's very rare <laughs> like a lot of people I see reacting to this episode or people that I spoke to that watched it when it came out they wouldn't I mean the the idea the very idea of Merlin actually trying to kill a main character and succeeding let's just you know because he did kind of succeed um is just pff, so unthinkable and I absolutely Love it. I think the atmosphere in this episode is second to none. It feels incredibly creepy and really scary. Um, I think that the the eeriness is incredible. I think the acting is amazing. Even Katie, honestly, I think just does such an amazing job of her kind of like being out of it and so confused and also just like whatever. And obviously the boys trying to, you know, act like they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker and um just yeah like i said the the payoff for this episode and then what it ended up doing for the rest of the show going into episode 13 not even really recognizing at the time that it was kind of a two-parter but not really i just think it's incredible i can't believe an episode like this came out of a show like merlin and um when we get to obviously the pivotal scene the really long scene in the council chambers i will be obviously gushing extensively because it's amazing but i just yeah i think it's fantastic obviously you know there are some bits that i'm a bit kind of like oh you know that could have been done a little bit better that could have been done a bit better but um i feel like going off of the witch's quickening which was so so weak and so poor but nice that it's still at least tied in like i said i feel like the witch's quickening the fires of edith and the last dragon lord can really be kind of they they are a bit of a package deal even though mm-hmm. you can technically watch them separately and you don't need them for each other but it's weird these show just pulls it off it's just so interesting <laughs> yeah. they really hit a home run in the final bit of season two which is why i think the season two ender is the strongest of any of the enders that we've had in any season um that kind of trio of episodes just and then they ruined it because season three was a complete reset but you know <laughs> like i really felt like with this big ending you know f12 and f13 i thought we were really going places i felt like oh shit's really changing like things are really changing in merlin um they didn't but <laughs> we really thought they were going to but yeah well, what did you think about the episode alex uh i liked it a lot more than i remembered liking it uh, because I had some very strong opinions about especially how Mogos acts, how Morgana acts, and how Merlin acts. Mm-hmm. 
in these in this episode and I re-examined all of my opinions and basically changed all of my opinions I'm very watching this when and um yeah I I think you're right that this is uh, one of the most important episodes uh in the entire series in the entire show and uh I think we'll talk more about that when we get to these when we get to these scenes so yeah that's just my my very short overall impression of this episode. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I like what you're saying about kind of it forcing you to re-examine opinions because I feel like because I had seen it a bunch of times like throughout the years, it was pretty solid in my memory, but kind of re-watching it um, just for this, having not seen it in, in like a little while, um, I feel like all it did was reinforce the opinions I already had, which <laughs> Merlin was right, Morgana was wrong, <laughs> which is basically my kind of entire um uh thing going into this episode and I kind of I mean I mean I was ready to kind of go oh maybe not but no just watching it back and watching obviously the lead up to this uh everything that happened in season two um what we were talking about you know months and months and eons ago when it came to both Merlin's character study and Morgana's character study respectively um yeah I just feel like for me it's it's a no-brainer as to who did the right thing um in this episode which I think is why it's so engaging (laughs) and the fact that you know they went places Merlin went places (laughs) just you know it went to some really fucked up places and I like it a lot so yeah I'm very happy about it um but yeah if we're kind of you know we have both have very positive Thoughts is going to be a fun review, so shall we jump into the scene by scene? Yes, please. Well, we start off a bit boring, um, which is just a bunch of spiel about knights, evil, blah, 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 yawn, and there's Joseph, and he's like, there's smoke. Oh, no, no, that's not even, no, hang on, you skipped the entire first scene before the credits. Yeah, I know, because I nearly fell asleep watching it. Yeah, like, I I, I gave it a name, but I didn't write down anything for it, and then there's the one in the throne room where Joseph the Herder tells them um, what he saw. And honestly, like, I don't have much to say about this scene, but I like that at the in the beginning of the scene, they actually do a bit show, don't tell. Mm. Because uh, Joseph explains who he is, says where he, cam- where he comes from, and where he camped for the night. And like he said, they were camping below the castle of Idir-Sholas or whatever. Yeah. They said, uh, he said, and then with her reaction already tells us that this is not a good place because he says something that's like, oh. uh, I am not sure I would have chosen this as a campground. <laughs> so, so like, <laughs> so you, you already know that, Ooh, spicy. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, Joseph says that he saw smoke rising from the Citadel and then Uther and Gaius share a look <laughs> like capital L look. And that, that up until then, it's great. And then we move into the tell territory when Gaius tells us the legend, but that it's okay. Uh, but like, like, it's fine for the audience, but even for the audience, this could have come later because the next scene is Gaius explaining the entire thing, like why this is a problem to Merlin. He could have just told Merlin the legend then. And I'm like, Gaius tells the entire room about the legend. Yeah. And then... um. Uther tells Arthur to take some writers and check it out, and Arthur has this whole, it's just superstition, blah, 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 and it's just, you know, 
that would have been fine. Like, just don't tell the entire room about the legend. Just have Uther react to the news that there's smoke coming out of the Citadel, telling Arthur calmly to take some riders and check it out. And Arthur being like, why? It's just smoke coming out of the Citadel. And Arthur is just like, just do it. Uh, Uther is just like, just do it. I'm giving you an order. Yeah. And then once they're back in Gaius's workroom with Merlin, Merlin is like, well, what's all this fuss about a little bit of smoke? And then Gaius can go on his entire spiel and tell him why this is a problem. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I do like that we get a, like a thing with Uther where he's kind of shown to be someone caring because not only does he obviously put the guy up for the night, but he also says to Arthur, like, because, you know, Arthur's the one that's like, oh, this is stupid. And Uther's yeah. like, no, like, it's important to put people's minds at rest. And so that's yeah. quite nice. Like, I really like that he's kind of yeah. um, the one that's thinking. And I think what's really interesting... I mean, to be fair, people in this scenario is definitely Uther. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's still, you know, it's still still putting up a... cares, like, about what still It's still putting up a good front. Like, he definitely also cares about his his people. Like, the people of Camelot, that's that's his entire reason for doing anything, is because uh, he's doing what he thinks is right for the people of Camelot. But, like... Um, when he says to put people's mind addressed, he definitely is not saying to put my mind at rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I think, um, but you know, kind of drawing on Arthur's position in all of this, what I find really interesting about his behavior in this episode is that he is very um, uncharacteristically kind of um, calm and uh, kind of. He is clever. Later on, he is. He is clever. very clever. I will gush about this. Yeah, very. I mean, he does have one moment where I'm. I mean, okay. The entire like reason why this episode works is because it relies on one moment where Arthur forgets that he's clever. But I'm like, okay, fine. But like, um, <laughs> we'll get there. But with, but in terms of like the way that he deals with situations, like he's very much the tactician and like military yes. leader. And what I find really weird, like. Because he's normally very driven by emotion, but he and like he and he is very much like my father, my father, my father. But what I think is more important is the fact that he's kind of taking on a stance of like a monarch who understands that the king needs to be protected at all costs, which I think is so interesting because he is ready to put Morgana's life in danger so she'll protect the king. Like he's not trying to protect them both. He's telling Merlin and Morgana that no if if it's a choice you die first you know and that's really interesting to me because we don't often see him kind of taking up that role and it's it's so like imagine watching the witch's quickening and the fires of either Shola's like back to back like just imagine Hmm. like binging it and just watching these two episodes right after the other instead of like a month apart like we did for these for this Hmm. review but like it must be so jarring to see Arthur in the witch's quickening being entirely useless and forgetting everything he ever knew about tactical uh warfare or, or like battle tactics and then in this episode he is just so on top of it yeah, he really is. He's really kind of efficient and capable. Yes. Those are the two words I'd use. He's efficient and capable. They both are, though. I really, you know, I feel like this duo is just really going places I mean, in this episode. Yeah, like like Arthur says in this one scene, you're just full of good ideas today, Marlon. And Marlon really is. Like, I mean, obviously all of it is like um, him following other motives. Yeah. Like he's, he's trying to sneak away to... to 
find things to do but like he still comes up with good ideas yeah exactly <laughs> not that any of them are carried through for several reasons but he has good ideas exactly <laughs> um so yeah uh moving on from the one in the throne room and then we've obviously had the one uh with gaius where they have like their conversation or whatever um and uh the next kind of sequence that i've called is the one with a shred of continuity um, which is kind of Morgana's like descent into, you know, she gets a note and she goes to me all goes and that entire kind of sequence. And we have oh. like a bit of Gwen suspicion, obviously, to start off with, which, yeah. um, which is, uh, I feel like, yes, on the one hand, it's important, but looking back in hindsight, I feel like this is a completely pointless endeavor because Gwen doesn't like nothing comes of it there's no payoff because Gwen doesn't start suspecting Morgana again until the middle of season three so I don't really get why why her looking over Morgana's shoulder was necessary like and like yeah I mean they could have tried to like with the continuity to bring it on from the previous episode when Morgana snapped at her and Gwen found that weird but it's still I don't think Gwen is the kind of person who holds a grudge. Yeah. So even if Morgana snapped at her and had like a bad day, assuming that the fires of Ider Sholas isn't set the very next day after the witch's quickening ends, mm. Gwen probably has long since gotten over being snapped at by Morgana. And since we don't know how Morgana has been treating her but since witch's quickening and until now like we don't have any proof that she has been weird towards Gwen this entire time which would have like if we had seen that in some way if we had evidence of that then maybe I'd believe that Gwen is being suspicious because Morgana has been acting strange for a longer period of time yeah but since that is not the case it's strange Mm. what I also find kind of meh is that uh like Morgana in her chambers finds a jewelry box on her windowsill and like I can I keep thinking that um if Gwen had found it obviously she wouldn't have read the message because she would have probably assumed that it's from Morgana but like Gwen still like that would have been reason maybe for Gwen to be kind of weird because she leaves a jewelry box on the window with a message inside that's just strange but but Gwen didn't even see that because Morgana is in the way mm. and uh just a side note that little note that morgana reads it looks so fake like it looks so fake it looks like it was printed and not written because all because the entire script is super neat and you can just tell it's like like a medieval font that they yeah. picked in like uh microsoft word and then print it out. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge them that when it has 0.5 seconds of screen time. You know? I know, but it's just like, uh, it's so fake. Like, honestly, like, keep the keep the modern paper that they used instead of proper parchment. That's fine. But like, at least have someone write it with a, with a quill. <laughs> like, you can't even read what it says. I mean, if you paused you could probably read what it says but like as a viewer watching this episode you're not supposed to be able to read what it says yeah other than maybe um the 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 greeting which i didn't even catch but like 
you're not supposed to be able to read what it says. So have just have someone write with an with a quill on a piece of paper instead of printing it. I feel like printing it took more time than if someone had would have just written it had it just written it out by hand because okay. when you print it you have to you have to figure out what font to use and you have to print it you have to like cut it to size I'm just like that's so much work for something that looks so fake it would have looked less fake with less effort <laughs> that's true um so Morgana follows the note all the way to I don't know wherever like just outside the castle and and again yeah. Sorry, and so I'm sorry for interrupting no, you again. No, that's like, fine. Once again, Morgana can just sneak out in the middle of the night, lead through the front gate in a billowing cloak, and nobody even cares. And I'm just like, I don't know why I still get upset about this, but it's just it's bothering me. It's just very much bothering me. Yeah, I feel like it's just one of those things that is just yeah. We have to accept that it's part of you know. People sneak in and out of places all the time in film and TV, right? Like, it's just... Okay, but she's what... not even sneaking. Like, if she were sneaking, she would have gone through a secret do- side door. Like, we've seen happen on Merlin before. It's not a problem, you know? Like, maybe it's one of those things where it's not, you know, it's not suspicious for her to just go out at night. Like, maybe it's not a big deal, you know? Like, why would like why would they be suspicious of Morgana? Like, why would the guards think to stop Morgana to ask okay, her where she's... But- Okay, maybe they're not suspicious of her, but they should be protective of her. She's leaving the castle in the middle of the night to go into the forest. <laughs> where there are bandits sometimes. That's true. Like, seriously? <laughs> they're not thinking, they're drinking on the job. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, she meets more ghosts, and I think this scene is pretty well done. I mean, I think that it's a little bit... Um, I find the dialogue terrible, to be quite honest. And I will be honest, I will be honest, and this is probably still tinged by how I started watching this episode determined not to like it. Um, But I don't really like Morgana in this scene. Um, Part of that is, like I said, that I'm annoyed with how she can just leave with no one caring that she's leaving in the middle of the night, unprotected. Part of it is that I don't think that like Katie's acting and the dialogue are really great in that scene. Like Katie's acting definitely picks up a lot in the rest of this episode, but not in this scene. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about the whole thing that makes me just roll my eyes. And um, that makes me like think that Morgana sounds like a spoiled, petulant child. Mm. and like I can sympathize with why Morgana is turning away from Uther because she feels trapped in her life and she doesn't feel like she could safely tell the people in her life who she truly is what abilities she has and that is like um not to get uh, super personal here but that sounds very familiar to me and probably any other queer person that currently is or ever has been in the closet like you start to resent the people around you for making coming out necessary in the first place and for making it a gamble. Like when I came out to my family, my own family accepted me without any problems. And I didn't have really like, I wasn't really worried that they would reject me, but there was still a little part of me that feared 
that maybe they could reject me because of and it's like this fear is definitely fueled by the society that we live in where this just happens a lot to queer people who come out to their families that they're being rejected by those families even though they didn't expect to be rejected by their families so like I get why Morgana is angry and why she wants change and why she can't see or agree that Uther does love her uh, because of who Uther is and what he's done. She doesn't feel safe around him. Mm. So all of that is, is justified. I just don't like Morgana in this scene because she has no confidence in Gwen anymore, for example. Uh, and she talks and acts like a spoiled teenager. Like, she has no confidence in any of them anymore. Like, not in Gwen, not in Arthur, not in Merlin. And she just, uh, like, coming out, like, you know, coming out in the sense of, like, she has to tell someone. I mean, Merlin already knows. And I don't know why she wouldn't tell Gwen. Mm-hmm. Because even though I've said before that Gwen, in my opinion, would have reason to hate magic because she gets associated with it all the time in the sense of that she gets accused of doing it but like Gwen has never actually shown any signs of hating or resenting magic so I don't and like Gwen has shown every signs of being super loyal to Morgana Hmm. so I don't understand why Morgana wouldn't confide in her even hypothetically yeah it's a it's a real tough one honestly it's I think that it's just one of those things that, um, I mean, the Gwen thing doesn't make sense, unfortunately, and it, and I don't think it ever will. The only way that I can possibly maybe explain it is that Morgana is just so scared of any kind of repercussions of people finding out that she just, she just doesn't have the luxury to trust yeah. people. Um, yeah. And which is weird though because like I said it makes no sense because she trusted Merlin and nothing bad came of that and this is why this episode like I I find it very difficult to sympathize with Morgana and why I think Merlin's in the right is because like Morgana's been shown nothing but support from Merlin and from Gaius like from the moment that she she told him who she was Merlin said that he'd be there for her and she was the one that said Mm. I'm going to change my outlook on everything because I think that magic is not actually all that bad and you know i know who i am and i feel comfortable with that and then we get to the witch's quickening where she's talking uh, where she's talking about feeling alone all the time when merlin's literally right there and like she could go talk to him but she cho- but she chooses alvar because... i mean but, okay but you can't really like morgana doesn't know that merlin has magic and like i understand why morgana feels alone because to her knowledge, she's the only magic user in Camelot. And, like, if she wants to talk about um, how, like, what that feels like, mm. she can tell, she can talk at Merlin, but yeah. she doesn't know that she can talk to yeah, Merlin. Yeah, that's true. Because Merlin would never reveal yeah. that he understands exactly how yeah. she feels. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I get that because I don't really have any trans friends living nearby who go through the same thing or even the similar thing. Like I have one friend who goes through a similar thing, but because she's a trans woman, her like her quote unquote problems are basically the exact opposite of mine. Yeah, exactly. It's not really the same. Um, like some of it is similar, obviously, but like a lot of it is different as well. And so, and I mean, I know other trans men online that I talk to sometimes, but I don't really have anyone 
like in my in my circle of immediate friends that I can that I can talk to who has gone through the same thing as me or who even lives in Germany and has experience with how things work here all I have is accounts of how it works in other countries mm. right so and Mugana doesn't even have that she doesn't have online friends because the internet doesn't exist <laughs> so exactly. like Dragon so like, too, but not internet. <laughs> so like, I super get where she's coming from. Like, one other person knows, and this one other person hasn't told anyone else, and has been supportive before. But also, this person has been told by author, like Merlin was told by author to keep away from Morgana because author thinks Merlin is in love with Morgana, and it can't happen. Like, yeah. there, there can't be anything between them. And I'm, and the thing is that Merlin above all is still the most loyal to Arthur so if Arthur tells him to stay away from Morgana yeah both for Merlin's and for Morgana's sake then Merlin is gonna do it and to be quite honest we don't really see them doing anything together that much for the for the season I think so like if you compare it to season one where they the the magic four were always doing something together fighting monsters, going to Yaldor and so on, that really doesn't happen that much in season two. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Morgana is, like, from, like, just how the story is written, she's very much on the outside looking in. Yeah, you're, yeah you are right about that. I just think that it's, it's very unfair, I think, of Morgana to paint, um, particularly Merlin in the in the light of well i had no one to turn to you know and so my choice was to turn to someone who um could hurt people i care about you know and i think that's where there's a kind of uh line that needs to be drawn and you know more she doesn't know that more goes wants to hurt camelot but i think it's very short-sighted and naive and frankly a bit stupid of Morgana to believe that Uther's downfall will not come at the cost of other innocent lives because he yep. is Camelot you know yeah. also again in Morgana's defense um Margot doesn't actually tell her anything about what her plan is she just asks uh are you willing to help me no, and Morgana doesn't. says yes and then Morgana gets enchanted against her will without even knowing what's happening well, she. Well, I mean, her exact words are: "Are you? Um, do you? Do you ever wish for a world in which Uther was no more?" And Morgana categorically says, "More than anything." And Morgo says, um, "Are you with Uther or are you with me? Are you pre are you prepared to help me bring about his downfall?" So there's really no grey area as to what Morgo is planning on doing to Uther. At least that is very much clearly. I mean, if she if if she doesn't want to kill him, she wants him to get out of yeah there, so but like honestly like if if i were morgana and if someone were to say that to me or like ask me these questions and i said yes i would assume like and i would rightfully assume from someone who i trust for whatever reason i like morgana trusts mogos yeah uh, i would assume that this person then tells me what their plan is <laughs> yeah. but mogos does no such thing mogos just like touches Morgana's face and puts her under a magic spell without warning Morgana, without telling her what it's gonna do, without even getting consent from Mo from Morgana. For like she got con like she got Morgana to agree that Morgana would be on her side, but um, that doesn't automatically mean 
hey ho, go ahead and enchant me however the fuck you want. Yeah. Right? So it's just And Morgos shouldn't have done that. Like and I and like I don't want it to come across as I think that Morgos did the like went 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 the right way around this because she really yeah. didn't. But I and this think is... that Morgana is um Morgana is hiding behind a naivety that I don't think she deserves because she has proven herself to be cleverer than this. She's uh, proven herself to be a devious and manipulative character. And for her to now kind of hide behind the mask of, well, I didn't really know the consequences of my actions is a bit too little too late. I mean, uh, I will talk about this more uh, Mm -hmm. later on because I don't think that's really how Morgana acts in the rest of the episode. There's one thing I wanted to mention, which was also one of the things that annoyed me about Morgana in this scene. Um, like she mentions to, like she tells Mogos that she nearly assassinated Uther once, but then she didn't because she thought Uther cared about her. And uh, she has since then found out that Uther doesn't care about anyone, which is her objective, like is her subjective opinion, and I can see where it's coming from. But we, as an objective audience, or like more objective audience, we know that's not entirely true. But I can see why Morgana would assume that. Anyway, then like half a minute later, she says, "It doesn't matter what I want. The future is not of my making." Which is <laughs> seriously, <laughs> you're telling me that you suddenly for how to manipulate Uther into oh. trusting and believing you and luring him into a vulnerable position like it's just that's just what you said also with uh, Morgana is suddenly so naive and with even last episode where she's suddenly so love strong oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, and helpless where before we have seen her being a very fierce and independent and uh, confident and clever and fighty and like capable of fighting like physical fighting with a sword right it's just these writers are all over the place with morgana they change her characterization basically whenever they fucking want to yeah exactly and i absolutely believe that going forward after this scene morgana's characterization is pretty on point because i probably would be behaving exactly as she is if i was in the same situation because like you said she doesn't actually know what the fuck is going on um even though i do think that there is a more there is a point i think where she starts to maybe guess that things aren't what they seem but i i mean mm-hmm. i don't think that for a second she knows she's the vessel for the spell but i think she knows that I think, more goes is involved she... and that she probably has something to do with it <laughs> i think i think she does know but we'll get to that when we get okay. to it um but yeah i just think that uh it's I don't think that Morgana has much of a leg to stand on basically when she comes back in season three. And obviously she's been manipulated to hell and back. Like we get that, but just in general, I, I feel like um, the show, in my opinion, tries its objective best to paint Merlin as uh, equally at fault as Morgana. And that maybe he deserves a bit of what came to him in season three, because she came back with a vengeance because he killed her. And, I just basically am very against that uh, direction that the show tried to take. I think I understand why they had to do it because it's like tension and you have to kind of try and give Merlin like a good, um, you know, kind of character building moment and whatever. But I just think that it's really unfair because Morgana is the one that chose to associate and consort with evil morgana is the one who okay but she didn't uh, know that i mean okay yeah, yeah, before, she knows no, she knows before you know it's like she has re- repeatedly put herself in situations where she's uh tried to kill or uh, or a bet in killing and merlin has 
overlooked it time and time again. And what he did was he basically, without even wanting to, had to make the, the tough call of, I, the only way that we will live is if you die. I don't actually want to do this, but unfortunately it was her fault. <laughs> like, part, you know, it's like he couldn't do anything else. And so I think that um, it's not really fair of the show because, yeah, Morgana believes it's his fault because that's what Morgos told her. But the show knows better and Merlin shouldn't be feeling guilty. I don't think Merlin should be feeling a shred of guilt for what he did. I mean, I get it because it's taking a human life, but in the grand scheme of things, it's either Morgana's life or everyone's life, you know? Like, what was he supposed to do? It's just, um, it's a really weird conundrum that the show put him in, and I'm just a bit like, show, are you on Merlin's side or are you on Morgana's side? <laughs> it's a weird one, but I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a, a cool moral question to have. We do love our philosophy on Merlin, so. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that Merlin killing Morgana or trying to kill Morgana entirely relies on him believing what the dragon says and unfortunately Merlin has to believe what the dragon says because he has no other source for information because Gaius is asleep like everybody else <laughs> so like basically it pre-proposes that the dragon wasn't just using this opportunity to get rid of Morgana I mean I would personally argue and because, I guess we can talk yeah oh yeah 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 sorry because I feel like for example killing Morgos who created the spell might have also worked we don't know I don't just think thought. No, but I don't even think Merlin knows that Morgos is there at the time that he goes to see the dragon or if he does she's gonna be a lot more difficult to get to um than Morgana. But I feel That's like true. he finds out he finds out after he comes back from the I dragon. See, yeah. But he could have gone in that moment, oh wait, hang on. Maybe I could kill Morgos. Like I'm let's let's just keep going with the scenes yeah, because yeah. I feel like um we're not gonna get, get to, to anything <laughs> yeah. if we keep arguing what ifs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um the next yeah. one is the one in the morning when Morgana wakes up and you can tell from her face that she's wondering if she dreamed the whole thing yeah. or not. Like, she's even nice to Gwen again, which, again, brings me back to thinking that she's probably been nice to Gwen the entire time, except for, like, maybe one or two moments. We find out that everyone is starting to feel kind of feverish, run down. Also, Leon, why are you wearing brown? It looks terrible. <laughs> also, why is Leon the one tending to Uther instead of a it's servant? It's so funny. <laughs> it's just, I guess because they wanted Rupert in the... I don't know. Let's just not even go there. <laughs> uh, just, um, mm. But yeah, it's a really cool atmosphere that they're creating with these few scenes. And like I said, it's kind of eerie and there's a kind of like soothing kind of like music, like very, very subtle, like in the background. And it's just all really, yeah, it, it makes you feel tired even watching it. It's really, really cool. Um, and it's kind of interspersed with the boys going on their mission to go and track down these uh, these knights. Um, which takes them obviously out of Camelot, which is why that plot point is there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the whole sequence with the knights and I mean, it's just kind of, it's it's there. Like I said, it's basically just there to get them out of Camelot. Although we do have a couple of really cute moments between Merlin and Arthur. Arthur doing the I aggressively care thing where he yeah. like pushes Merlin, like get him out. Oh, but really important here though. Um, I... I 
again, uh, this was back when we kind of were naive and innocent and didn't know any better. Uh, I thought maybe the magic reveal was coming at some point soon. Maybe in season two. Maybe. <laughs> well, we, I mean, it was kind of a possibility. Honestly, I thought it. You know, I thought I thought it could happen, and um, particularly, I thought it could have been one of those situations where Arthur heard Merlin chant like doing the spell when he's right behind him. Yeah. God. <laughs> Oh, never mind never mind just, you know, and then um, they, you know, have like a cute moment with you know where Arthur rips his shirt and ties it around Merlin's arm which is like yeah he of- does a he does a terrible job of repping that wound he doesn't even look at it no. well he just sort of like wraps it around once or maybe twice tie like what like he wraps it around once and then ties uh and not, and then when the angle of the camera changes, suddenly it's very neatly bound yes. in several layers, and I'm just like, that's not how Arthur did it. Merlin mm. must have readjusted it himself. Yeah, of course he did, because, you know, he doesn't want to hurt Arthur's feelings, but he also, you know, is like, oh my god, he's caring. Since when does he not want to hurt Arthur's feelings? Well, I feel like he's kind of doesn't want to break the magic of, like, you know, like, he's kind of going, oh no, you'll ruin it, but he's secret, he's like, oh my god, he cares. <laughs> like, that's, that's that's your Merthyr goggles on. Oh, it's definitely, you. like, it's definitely true. I mean, Arthur doesn't ever do anything to show that he cares about Merlin's physical or mental well-being, so this is kind of, like, a really, a really big step in their relationship and i remember at the time i was like ah and i were like this one i was like like you know starting to actually like super be like okay no other ships exist get away um and it was just like very very exciting uh to see him doing the i aggressively care uh trope which which Mm -hmm. i appreciate um but yeah they they ride back to camelot and then it starts this is so good like I love how much time the show takes to really just kind of make us feel uncomfortable and just, just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't rush it. And um, they actually use, I think for the courtyard shot, they're using a slight fisheye lens because it's a little bit distorted around the edges. And so it kind of gives that weird, like weird look, like it's a little bit distorted and it's a little bit off, which I think is cool. Mm. And they have a bunch of shots like this, um, throughout this entire sequence there's like little shots of like when i mean i'm not going to be jumping around but just as an example like when merlin leaves gaius's uh chambers like the camera pans back as though it was hiding like there's um when they go into morgana's chambers the camera's behind morgana's bed as though it's hiding so it always feels as though someone's looking in on them and that just makes it also really eerie and it's Mm -hmm. it's just a really well done sequence like just everyone asleep and obviously you know the first thing that went into my mind when i first watched it was uh, sleeping beauty which was also the you know the inspiration for the very first episode where everyone falls asleep and this one was kind of a continuation of that just yeah people just fell asleep exactly where they stood which i think is really really interesting um and yeah, yeah. Super creepy. also also makes you wonder how wide this like how far the range of this spell is because there's this merchant or whoever uh the card coming in to Camelot and he's already asleep. So how far does this spell actually travel? Since when have Arthur and Merlin been subjected to the to it? Because like they fall under the spell obviously as soon as they're in Camelot. But like how soon did they get under the spell once they started writing back? Because we don't know how far the range of the spell is. It yeah. could be it could be bigger than it for a normal, like a non-magic person, if a non-magic person had been the vessel, because Morgana does have magic, maybe her magic is amplifying the spell as well. 
it's very interesting yeah exactly what i what i find funny and adorable and kind of is Arthur starts looking for his father and the first place he looks is in the throne room yeah. and the second place he looks is in guys's chambers yeah <laughs> and then the third the third place he looks is morgana's Morgana. chambers yeah. <laughs> uh, anywhere but his own <laughs> and it's just like he gets like there is this there is a cute little arwen moment that's actually i think it's quite sweet because he finds our uh gwen lying on the floor yeah, sleeping yeah. and he picks her up from the floor and puts her in morgana's yeah, bed yeah, and like yeah, brushes yeah. away her lock of hair which is quite sweet i think so but then uh then then we find morgana uh behind the curtains and she definitely is frightened she's very confused yeah and Arthur is being suspicious and smart for a change. Yeah. Uh, this is where I was like, I'm going to gush about this. Because he figures out that something is weird. Because Morgana is the only person still awake. And it, it immediately makes Merlin take notice mm. about of this fact. Once Arthur says it. Like Merlin hadn't even put that together yet. But Arthur already has. Yeah. And then Merlin either go, like, you can, like, the, the camera shows Merlin's face. And it's this very much, you know, light bulb goes on face that people make and it either is oh shit he figured this out by himself like surprise <laughs> or maybe his thoughts are oh shit is it because she's got magic like that is probably what merlin magic like I mean, that yeah, is yeah. definitely what merlin is thinking because he says it to morgana uh later on but yeah morgana is uh morgana is frightened and confused and i 100 believe her but i also get the feeling from this scene and some uh from the next scene where they're in the pretty gallery that she already knows that like remember when i said that when she woke up she she looks like she wasn't like she thought she had a weird dream yeah 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 i'm pretty sure that throughout the course of the day or days i'm assuming it's just a one day um, she has figured out that what she thought might have been a dream wasn't actually a dream and that she must be the cause of whatever this sleeping sickness yeah. is. Like, Morgana, I mean, despite what the writers are trying to tell us with their shoddy writing, Morgana is actually clever. Like, you can't tell me that if she remembers what happened, like where she had gone last night and what is happening today, that she can't put two and two together. Yeah. So, like, I think she knows that she, like, she doesn't understand why it's, uh, how it's happening unnecessarily yeah. or, like, what Mogos's goal is. Yeah. But she definitely figured out that it has something to do with meeting Mogos in the woods and it must be her who's yeah. causing this somehow. Like, she even says, that. wherever I went, people started falling asleep. Yeah. Like, you can't tell me that she doesn't understand the, the concept of wherever she went, people fell asleep. Yeah. So. Um, and I think it's, um, I think it's interesting as well, the fact that, like, at, like from an audience perspective, we kind of um, are probably just imagining that Morgos uh, gave her protection from the spell. We don't actually have any idea that she's the reason why it's... Uh, taking hold and i think that that's probably what morgana is 
thinking because that's the logical conclusion to come to yeah. i remember I mean, being it, with more goes i remember falling asleep or being put under a spell of some kind maybe i remember that and now everyone is falling asleep and i'm not so the logical conclusion is she's put a spell on camelot or someone has and i am immune because i've been given immunity not i am the cause so i get that like yeah. that i completely can buy because that you know even from the audience perspective nobody guessed that oh i mean i, I I doubt anybody guessed that. So I, but you know, still she definitely knows something's up. Yeah. But and it would also, it would also make sense for her to think that she's immune. Like from, it makes sense for Merlin to think that she's immune because she has magic. Yeah. Then once he starts getting sick, he realizes, Oh yeah. And that's like, that thought had not occurred to Morgana that she might be immune because she has magic. Because when Merlin brings it up, she has this, she says, Oh, right. In this, in this tone of voice where you know that the person who says it is only agreeing because it's easier. (laughs) They don't, because it's easier and they don't want someone else to know that they're not right or that this is not what had occurred to them, that they had already figured out a different version of why. But like, I can, I can sort of, see Morgana then rethinking the whole thing where she's like okay maybe I am immune because I have magic yeah but I'm pretty sure that before Arthur and Merlin came back to Camelot she had already figured out that she has something to do with the spell or that at least she's immune to the spell because Morgana uh, Morgos was actively trying to spare her or actually um wanted her to do something mm-hmm. And that's something like that ties into the next scene where they find Uther in his uh, in his room doing work, even though Gaia is yeah. That's the sweet. It's I just love that. It's just such a (laughs) tiny character moment that completely would go over most people's heads if you're not paying attention or if you're just like really engrossed. But the fact that he tried to get out of bed, say I've got court business to attend to, and then he's fine sleeping at his desk is just the cutest thing on the planet. I love so like. Jumping a little ahead to the end of the scene when Arthur tells her to uh, protect the king at all costs. And Morgana sits down with the sword and her face goes very serious. I was like thinking in this moment how ironic to give Morgana a sword and protect the king. Oh, I mean, yeah, that is what... when (laughs) When she just wants to kill him. But the thing is, Morgana already has had the better part of a day to first understand what is happening, to work through her confusion about it, and then come to the conclusion, oh, hey, actually, this is a great opportunity for me to kill Uther and get away with it. Because she could have killed Uther and then hid again, either in her room or somewhere, like hid in her room. And then the scene with Merlin and Arthur could have, like when Merlin and Arthur find her, could have gone the exact same way, except when they find Uther later on, she would be shocked. Like she would pretend to be shocked that Uther is dead. Or she could have killed him and just fled Camelot entirely right um, but she didn't she didn't yeah. like i she didn't kill uther she made that choice not like she can't do it now that merlin and arthur are there and the the knights of Medea are not yet there because then arthur and merlin will know that she killed uther unless she kills herself as well to make it look like she didn't kill uther but that would defeat the point yeah. of killing uther but she could have done it before now and she didn't yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I honestly don't think that Morgana is as switched on as all that in this episode. I mean, when we see her, she's hiding for Christ's sake, and there's no one even there, so she's terrified. I think that even though she is 
putting two and two together that clearly she's immune, but she doesn't know why, but it's probably something to do with more goes. I don't think she's thinking clearly. If I'm honest, I think that what she might have realized is that she got herself in a little too deep and got more than what she bargained for. Yeah, and absolutely. If, and if, um, if this had gone differently and if they had managed to save Morgana or if Morgana had kind or like say, say it's what you said and Morgos died instead. I think Morgana would never have gone to the bad side because I genuinely think that this gave her a bit of a wake up call as to, oh, people I care about could get seriously hurt. I actually yes. don't think that she had any intention of hurting Uther in this episode because a, I, like, I just think that, yeah, she's just too scared and she doesn't have a clue what's going on. But I think it's, she's starting to kind of see that her behavior is having some kind of consequences. Unfortunately for her, it's too late because she's got to die. So it doesn't yeah. really matter like, what, you know, what she's realized. I absolutely agree. And like, I feel like we see more of this throughout this episode because Merlin until he hears from the dragon that he has to kill Morgana, Merlin is being super supportive of Morgana. Yep. He keeps um he comes up with a lie to tell Arthur as to why Morgana is still awake. He reassures Morgana that he is not going to tell Arthur about her magic. And like it's only like it starts to swing back in the other direction again when Merlin leaves her um, to be killed by the Knight of Medir. Yeah. That's when it starts turning again, like in the other direction. Because until then, everything that's been happening has been Merlin being a good supportive friend to Morgana and Morgana realizing, oh, wait a second, I do have people in Camelot that I can trust. Even if Uther is being a bag of dicks, there are other people in Camelot that are nice that I can trust. And I've just been um, too caught up in my own fears to really appreciate that. But then later on, Merlin, now poisoned by, well, influenced, let's not say poisoned, let's say influenced by what the dragon told him, whether it's true or not, makes a decision to leave Morgana for the Night of Medir. And that's when it starts to swing back from Morgana yeah. again. But we, we will get to that again later. I'm glad that you brought up that scene, though. I'm glad that you brought up the scene of Merlin making something up because this is where I basically went... <sighs> because I have never seen a less convincing performance from Merlin than in this moment. He literally gives Morgana a wink wink nudge nudge while Arthur is looking directly at him and oh, he God, yeah. buys this but it's not that he buys it in the sense of okay I don't believe you guys are telling the truth but we need to carry on. He buys it to the point where he keeps bringing up this potion for the rest of the episode. How stupid can you be? <laughs> I'm just so irritated I mean, by this. I will I will put this down to Arthur being desperate for an explanation as for yeah. why Morgana is immune to this. Yeah. Um because he doesn't want to think about what it would mean if there weren't some kind of explanation yeah. that he can Well there is like, nothing else in his head that he can feasibly you know, he 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 doesn't have any reason to suspect Morgana of any foul play so he's very confused yeah that is that is 100 correct but like even look even logistically like the two of them walked into morgana's chambers and between getting to uther's room and then all they've had is that walk when merlin 
lagged back a bit and like whispered to Morgana about the magic. So from Arthur's point of view, even then, the first question I would have asked Merlin is, when did you have time to get this information? Like, how, how do you know this? We've been together, all the three of us, since we got here. So I'm just kind of, even that, I just think it's such a, you know, I would have bought it if Merlin been... had been more convincing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. If Merlin had just been a bit more convincing with it, I would have been fine. But he kind of goes, right? <laughs> like, just, no, <laughs> please make it stop. Morgana's actually relatively all right. She kind of, you know, plays along. But I'm just, yeah. oh my God. I, I think that Arthur just wanted to hear an explanation that he could believe oh, if it had been brought to him more convincingly. So, yeah. And then I think he just fixates on yeah. it. <laughs> Maybe it's true if I believe it. <laughs> yeah. I have I have a little more to say about this scene in yeah. Uther's uh, chamber. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is just I know there's this outtake where like Anthony drops onto the table yeah. and then comes back up and there's this page sticking <laughs> to his forehead. And I just, uh, just the way Arthur holds his face yeah. like smushed up between his it's fingers so and it's like, look at him, he's not all right. Or like whatever it is he says. It's just like, I wonder how many takes it took because I can just imagine Anthony giggling through the entire thing because it's just like anthony has just the best job in this entire episode he's being dragged around this i would love this it's just um yeah but like then the uh just to come back to what i said earlier the way the scene is shot and cut like to me keeps telling us as the audience that morgana knows she's the cause for this Mm. And, um, but like we said, I think she's genuinely frightened because she didn't expect this when Mogos asked for her help. Yeah. Or like Mogos asked whether she was with her or against her. And like Merlin, like we said, keeps protecting her secret. He lies to Arthur in order to do so. And then the thing is, in the past, I wish that Morgana had told Merlin about what she thinks happened so that they could figure out a way to stop it together. Because that would have been for me the next logical step for her to like take my side and like listen. I think I've been enchanted. I I think there's like I'm kind of like I'm somehow the cause for this, but she doesn't. And I think I think it's understandable she doesn't say anything because right now she has Merlin's trust and she barely feels safe with anyone in the castle because of Uther's politics but she trusts Merlin because he keeps protecting her and if she admitted to him that she collaborated with an enemy of Camelot a known enemy of Camelot ever since Arthur went to see Mogos on the Isle of the Blessed like so if if you know if she told Merlin about this that she's the cause of this and then she suspects I think she suspects that Merlin would turn on her because protecting Camelot and Arthur rank higher on his list of priorities than protecting Morgana. And Morgana knows this. So she'd look like a traitor to Merlin and she trusts Merlin right now, but she doesn't and can trust that he wouldn't push her in front of the metaphorical medieval bus if he knows what she, however unsuspectingly, did. And then, yeah, so that's like... Well, we don't know. What That's where Morgana's I've come thinking. around. Where I'm like, in the past, I wished Morgana had just talked to Merlin about this, but Morgana at this point is like traumatized, 
not just by this episode but by other things that have happened to her and she doesn't she doesn't trust anymore like she she finds it difficult to trust and she's like she's starting to trust merlin or to remember that she can trust merlin but this is still a very big leap of faith and she's not ready yet to take it yeah and she knows that she's done a bad thing so she doesn't really feel like yeah she's like she's like the she's like you know uh a a second grader who broke their parents's favorite vase and then tries to like hide the crime by just hiding the shards and they think that if if they can't see the shards and they won't know that the vase is broken but obviously there's no vase anymore <laughs> so the parents know there's something up but like uh and i feel like morgana is very much this in this mindset right now i broke the vase and if i hide the shards then no one will re- realize that the vase is gone exactly um and what i think is the huge turning point in this like what i said earlier is that merlin is um worried and suspicious but he's 100% under the impression that Morgana's magic is keeping them safe which means he's under the impression that his magic is keeping him safe and yeah. you can see it on his face when he realizes that they're getting sick he's not just like oh shit we're getting sick because like he's like oh you're jumping ahead again we're not there yet oh i thought that we were with Morgana Uther and thingy are we not we, there's we there were we many... were still in Uther's chambers right now there are so we many haven't moved that to Arthur's. <laughs> we haven't moved to no, no. That happens later. That happens later. Uh, arrive in like they carry Uther around, and it's just it's, again, it's so funny. Like Arthur tells Merlin not to laugh because it's not funny, but it is funny. Yeah, like Anthony just hanging there, his head bumping into fruit, and him just like snuffly snoring the day away. It's just it's sending me. I love it. And then they end up in in Arthur's chambers, and that's when they because they've been exerting themselves now, and that's when they start to feel sleepy. And he looks, and Merlin looks at Morgana because he'd be like you said, he assumed he'd be immune due to his magic, which makes me think, how was he going to explain this later? But he was probably not like that was a problem for future Merlin and not present Merlin. Well, he probably didn't know how long it would take them to get sick. He probably didn't like you know. And this is the thing, maybe. Um, I, you know, because when I first watched the episode, I didn't understand the parameters of the curse. I assumed that it was basically a sleeping curse had been put on the whole of Camelot, and anyone that had been there at the time was basically put to sleep straight away. I didn't really understand that it was kind of a, an ongoing, living, breathing thing. That if you then mm-hmm. entered the the kingdom, you would become susceptible to the curse and and even if that is kind of what you expected you don't know how long that's going to take right because these guys yeah. fell asleep over the course of the entire day i mean i doubt they were hoping to be there that long so it's kind of um yeah i think it's just a surprise and honestly it is kind of surprising that it took um that uh that uh it was that quick maybe because the cur- you know the spell had been making its way through a huge population of people as opposed to just these two that are left you know so i mean it started really it depends on whether morgana herself had to be awake for it because it starts uh, very quickly once more morgana wakes up yeah, like like morgana uh gwen greets her in the morning right after morgana wakes up and gwen is already yawning mm. right so it's just i'm pretty sure it does work quickly Hmm. so um but yeah so there's a bit of a a bit of a panic moment and they realize that they need to get the fuck out of there (laughs) because otherwise um yeah 
no good no good staying in camelot when there's a when there's a sleeping spell around so i believe this is where they come up with the plan to disguise uther and Mm -hmm. uh, merlin runs out to go and get some shit and then that's when we have the scene with the dragon which i i honestly think is really really good just from the perspective of like Look, the dragon has told Merlin that he's got to do lots of different things. And I think at this point, um, especially when he realizes we're getting sick and da 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 da, I think maybe there was a a tiny part of Merlin throughout this entire thing because Morgana is such a suspicious person already from the um the beginning of the end, from the nightmare begins, from the witch's quickening. She's done nothing but put herself in a precarious position in terms of Merlin trusting her judgment and her loyalties oh and to kill the king you know let's put that out there as well and so even though i do genuinely think that he had the best intentions in mind when he said oh i'm sure it's your magic that's keeping you safe i think part of him was probably always a bit like why her like this is a little bit suspicious why why is she the one the one that you know has kind of shown that she may be does you know isn't always on the right side when it comes to camelot why is she the one that's awake and i think when he realizes that he's getting uh, sleepy, think he starts to doubt himself. I think and what and what he originally thought. And when he goes down to see the dragon, you can see it on his face when um, he says, "You know, it needs a living, breathing vessel in order to survive." And that um, he kind of looks at him really suspiciously, and he says, "What do you mean?" But he already, I think, he already knows. I think he already knows that Morgana is is the cause in some way shape or form he doesn't know what he needs to do to fix it but then it's just so heartbreaking to watch his reaction to Kilgara telling him these things it's it's um he he kind of oscillates between broken like you can see that he genuinely doesn't know what the fuck he's supposed to say and he's just trying to pretend like he's not hearing these things and then really um holds calculating because he kind of has moments where you feel like you could genuinely break into tears and then he basically just is how do i stop her you know there's a whole thing before that where he has had to make a tough decision because the dragon is like why should i help you you've broken all your promises and then merlin like says i promise i will free you well i don't i don't trust your promises anymore and then merlin has this whole i swear on my mother's life which he yells, and then you can, and I do admire Colin's acting in in this scene, uh, because you can see on his face, he immediately regrets saying this. And then through, like, this is all just told through how he looks, like all just his expressions on his face. You see him going, I should not have said that. I wish I hadn't said that. And then him accepting that he has said this, and that now he has to follow through with it so he has already made peace with that and then i think the the a similar thing happens with morgana where he has already been suspecting that she has something to do with what is happening in camelot and the dragon confirms it and then the dragon says that the only thing to do is to kill morgana and the dragon what he does before merlin says well tell me what i need to do is the dragon emotionally blackmails him by telling him well if um if you don't kill her, then Arthur will die and your destiny will be will not come to pass. So like just, you know, 
this whole thing where the dragon just keeps manipulating Merlin with like, this is your destiny. You have to do this. And um, so that's when Merlin accepts that uh, he will have to have to kill Morgana. And honestly, I'm annoyed a little bit that he accepts it so easily that he has to kill Morgana, that he doesn't try to figure out a different way more. But I can also kind of see that he thinks to himself, well, I'm running out of time because I'm close to falling asleep already. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's so beautifully done because there is this ticking clock and there's only so much more that he can do and he is very helpless and very out of options. But also, I think this is kind of the final straw because it's, you know, the dragon is saying all of the right things. You know, it's not that she's doing it because she wants to help Mordred. It's not that she's doing it because she's lonely and she's trying to go to Alvar for some kind of support. He says she has now made the choice to turn her back on us. And I think that even Merlin has to, you know, Merlin as a character also needs to have that moment where he does the things that need to be but the thing is the thing is merlin has no context for this like he does not know that morgana told Morgos that she is on her side as far as he's concerned morgana could have been enchanted against i mean morgana was enchanted against her will but like morgana could have been enchanted by someone she didn't talk to beforehand like, Merlin does not know that Morgana has gone to see Mogos in the middle of the night and pledge her allegiance to Mogos. Yeah, but he does know that she was in cahoots with a band of renegade sorcerers just a couple of weeks ago. So it's not really out of the question that she could be doing something dodgy there. Like, this is all following on, right? Like, Morgana has done nothing to make herself look innocent for a very long time. So I just think that... It would don't you don't you think that Merlin understands that Morgana was manipulated by the renegades? No, I mean, if he does, I think that he knows that it's also very much in her nature to do something like this. She's the one that wanted to assassinate Uther. That was her idea, you know. Like he knows what she's capable of, and that she's capable of, you know, shit. And I think that if he hadn't listened to Kilgara now. I think that would have been a more frustrating um, aspect to his character because it makes him look like a carpet and like an idiot because you're being told something that you know is true. You know deep down this is true and you know that you are running out of time if you don't try to make this. And you and you can see he he's broken, but he doesn't want to do it. And I don't want to suggest that he's basically like you know, ruthless season five kind of version Merlin where he's like, right, down to business. You know, he is so trying to keep it all in and he's just trying to, well, put a brave face on in front of Kilgara for a start because he doesn't want to lose it in front of him. But I think, you know, if he had kind of gone down the fluffy, you know, route that we saw in the the beginning of the end where he was kind of like, oh, no, 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 that's not true. She's a good person. She's a good person. They would have all been killed and it would have made him look weak and I think that at this point in the show, he had to just step out of that a little bit and do um, and do something really awful. But um, it's not an easy decision for him. <laughs> I don't I don't envy him at all, because like you said, he doesn't not know definitely. the whole story. He doesn't know the whole story. And you are completely right. 
but he knows enough of the story and he's had enough clues that he needs to make the hard call because no one's going to make it for him. And yeah. uh, and that's yeah. that's the other thing um, that I tend to forget is that Merlin is still very young. Yeah, Merlin is very young. And there's a lot of pressure on him all the time. Yeah, and like I can see this from his point of view, where he's like, "Well, I've been under a lot more pressure than Morgana this entire time, yeah. and I have even fewer people." Yeah, I mean, not actually. No, he has people he can turn to. Gaius knows about him. Uh, Lancelot knows about him. His mother knows about him. Like he, Merlin actually has people he can talk to. But like he's still under a lot of pressure, and none of the people he talks to really know what it's like to be him yeah. and uh, the pressure he is under. And he's not turning evil. So I can sort of see why he'd be like, well. If I can survive under this pressure, why can't she? Which could probably send me off into a whole rant about unrealistic expectations on women and how that is oftentimes worse than how men experience pressure on them. Yeah. But I'm not gonna because uh, we don't have five weeks. Yeah. Uh, but like, I can sort of, I, I, I mean not just sort of, I can see Merlin's point of view and I'll have a moment later uh, when they're in the in the actual throne room uh, where I have a whole thing about why I can see when Merlin is, is making this decision. But like, like from, from a modern audience's point of view, like from people who know how many problems could be solved by just talking about them with each other it just frustrates me that none of these characters are talking to each other there's a lot <laughs> just, of stake you see i said the word stake I mean, would come up <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying that the outcome like that the uh that the solution to the problem with the sleeping curse would be anything different if they talk to each other but at least then everyone would know like at least Merlin and Morgana both would know right. what needs to be done. And then Morgana has a chance. And I mean, that's not an easy choice either. Like, okay, I'm going to kill myself to save everyone or no, I don't want to kill myself yeah. because I don't want to kill myself, which honestly valid, but like, but also, um, you could die anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. And like, she could have then admitted to like, okay, but Mogos is the one who put this spell on me. Maybe if we kill her, like just, you know, teamwork makes the dream work and all of that. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I'm I'm currently I'm in the uh, I'm looking at my notes for the one where they're back in the pretty gallery when they're pulling Uther along on the sheet and the uh, Knight of Medir is attacking and Merlin decides to leave Morgana behind. Yeah. And it's like. With just with the decision Merlin just had to make, I'm not surprised by it because Merlin has already made his decision about Morgana. But if the knight kills her, yeah, then he won't have to do it. Exactly. And he can always tell himself he had to save Uther and he couldn't yeah. save him and Morgana. Exactly. Like it's a nice yeah. it's a nice like escape for him. But then of course the Knight of Medir thwarts that plan by um not killing Morgana, which only uh, serves to fuel Merlin's suspicion. suspicion. Yeah, exactly. And I think and that's what does it. I think that is what ends up kind of really sealing the, the nail in Morgana's coffin. Yeah. 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 And it's also what is, uh, it's the moment I mentioned before, it's the moment where Morgana starts to swing back the other way. 
because Merlin, like she even calls out to Merlin, Merlin, please help me. But Merlin left her behind. Yeah. And and I think she has this moment in the aftermath where she's like, he doesn't care about me as much as I thought he did. Mm. But he's um, lucky that he's carrying Uther because really when you when they're in the council chamber, she, she doesn't seem to hold a grudge against what he did, even though he just left her to die because, yeah. because he was carrying the king. And so he's kind of got the perfect alibi. If it, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wrong. Um, exactly. It's interesting. But yeah, I think the, the build up to the council chamber scene, in my opinion, is really, really good because the kind of succession between him leaving Kilgara and then eventually giving Morgana the poison. I think that, you know, even though he kind of came, was like, okay, I know I have to do something. And, and he took the hemlock just in case, you know, I think, I don't know if he didn't, if his mind was really made up until the moment that he gave her that thing. I really think that he was kind of thinking, oh my God, maybe something, maybe something. And, and you can kind of, see him looking at her you know kind of like when he comes back and he's obviously exhausted and he's just staring and you know he's trying to avoid eye contact with her but he's staring her down when she's not looking and he's just kind of like why are you doing this you know he's just trying to figure it out in his own Mm -hmm. head and Mm -hmm. you know there's yeah so I've called it the one where Merlin starts lying because his body language instantly changes he becomes kind of um like a bit of a predatory animal is kind of what I've thought about it when I see it. He's kind of quite physically intimidating towards her. He's kind of narrowing his eyes at her. His voice changes completely. And yeah, like I said, he completely stops looking at her and stops making eye contact with her. But when Arthur asks, like, you know, I don't understand why we're being affected and she's not. And, uh, and Arthur's just like, oh, it must be the potion. And just Merlin's kind of like, yeah must be the potion and i love that he says that because in the end he's the one that came up with it and now you know his own lie is kind of ending up saving morgana's ass when he probably would have hoped he would never have said it you know if he had if he could go back maybe he would have landed her in it there and then you know like just to get it off his own conscience um but yeah then we have the the scene where morgana nearly dies and then we go into (laughs) an amazing sequence honestly it, it, i mean it's such a long scene you forget because there's the bit while arthur is still in there then there's the bit when arthur leaves and then there's the bit where more ghost shows up and then morgana gets kidnapped and the entire sequence is one scene but it yeah. uh, it's so long and it's incredible um ha <laughs> right let's uh, let's start breaking this up a little bit so basically as soon as they get into the council chambers Merlin is on Morgana again immediately he's just trying to find any excuse to probably not do what he knows that he needs to do and he kind of hisses at her why didn't that night kill you and then she comes up with the because I'm a woman kind of thing and you know she's clearly talking utter shit (laughs) and I think at this point she kind of knows that this is a lie (laughs) well I mean I don't know I mean obviously she she thought she was gonna die when the night went for her. But I think that, you know, she knows that what she's saying is just complete bullshit. And she knows that Morgos is very much involved somehow. Yeah. yeah. No, she already knows that Morgos is involved because Arthur has already mentioned that Morgos is there when they were still in, in his chambers, which was like three whole scenes ago. Yeah, that's right. So she already knows about that. So, um, yeah. And Merlin just kind of like, just smiles like and just kind of goes yeah yeah i guess it's because you're a woman um and then they come up with the plan their their, their plan is to lower uther down 
from the window into the card and the plan is that Arthur is going to go outside to get to the card. Like face like fight the knights, try to fight his way through. Yeah, that's correct. And so he leaves Morgana behind with Merlin and um I love their acting. Like there's something about the way that they play these scenes. Like it made me tired looking at them, you know? <laughs> like particularly Arthur. I feel like Merlin is actually faring all right, but Bradley is just like you know that feeling where you just cannot keep your eyes open and yes. you could i mean it's it's actually it feels very powerless like you know if you've ever tried to stay awake because you want to stay awake for something and your body is just not letting you it it is a very kind of powerless feeling and it's not pleasant because you're just like i don't want to go to sleep <laughs> also known as every time i watch hockey in the middle of the night ah, there we go yeah um and so you know kind of arthur nodding off and then Merlin giving him a slap but even like that you know kind of the way their limbs are heavy the, the way their reactions are like two seconds behind what they should and how he kind of flops about and like how they like yelling at each other even though they're right next to each other because they can't help it because they can't like use their mouths properly it's just like it's so good and then um Arthur I think you know the fear of death finally you know wakes him up a little bit but we have a very sweet moment here um where they have like a genuine a genuine moment where you know he says it uh if i need a servant in the next life and merlin says don't ask me and they have a bit of a a laugh and you know for all intents and purposes you know arthur thinks that could be the last time they ever see each other and and i like you know they kind of have these little moments of genuine behavior um you know at least in the end (laughs) yeah you know in the end it's good banter it's good banter and it's very and it's very um you know uh sweet and yeah um arthur goes out to sacrifice himself and merlin you know surprisingly lets him uh you know bolts the door i mean merlin has a job to do yeah and he knows that the best way like to him the best way to save arthur yeah is to get on with killing morgana and he can't kill morgana if he's out there with arthur yeah and what is it in the end that kills morgana you know she starts to kind of suspect merlin a little bit even though like ever okay because from this point onward we have basically like very little verbal communication i think like they speak like two or three words to each other like for the rest of the scene and the re- and all of it is just body language which is the kind of acting that i live for because i just love kind of looking at what actors choose to do in a scene and it's so wonderful um in the end after merlin kind of um tricks her by pretending to take a drink uh she kind of softens a bit and she's like oh no that's my friend and it's that one moment of trust that ends up killing her and it's well, you know, I say killing her because you know she would have died had uh, had uh, had more goes not uh, not shown up, and I think that's really important to remember. But it's just like, oh my god! The- what I yeah, what I what I want to say is that once Arthur has gone out to fight the knights, Morgana is still and even more so genuinely distressed because she's worried about Arthur. She's like, she's he's going to die out there, and and it's like she. You know, she might hate Uther and she might want him gone from power, but she doesn't hate Arthur at this point in the story. Yeah. That comes later when she's been manipulated by Mogos for about a year. So, yeah. And this is where I come back to where I wish that Merlin had sat down with her and had said, uh, listen, I know you're the source, or I figured out that you're the source of this sleeping curse. 
Is there anything you can tell me about it? And then she might have told him, maybe she might have told him that Morgos enchanted her and they could have come up with like, okay, we're going to try and kill Morgos and see if that stops anything. And only when that might have failed, he could have been like, okay, now I need to kill Morgana. But like, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I wish, I wish they had, I wish they had had a conversation about this where Merlin is like, like calling back to the time where he's like, because you're right. Morgana has shown what she is capable of doing if she uh, if she feels that she has been wrong or if she feels like people that she cares about have been wrong because her assassination attempt in this first season is on behalf of Gwen, yeah. who didn't even want this. But like Morgana is like, no, someone hurt my Gwen, so I'm going to hurt them. Yeah. But every time Morgana has... Well, maybe not every time, but like a lot of the times Morgana has come around when people reasoned with her or when when she had like reason to believe the people did care about her or about the people that she cares about. And again, Merlin is very young and I don't expect him to remember everything. But like, this is just my my wishful thinking. It's like, I wish Merlin would have tried one last time to reason with Morgana, to talk to Morgana and be like, look, it's obviously you who's causing this. I just want to understand if you did this on purpose or if someone else made you do this or what happened. And it would have been a chance for Morgana to come clean and to to find help. And she didn't. And I mean, Merlin didn't and Morgana didn't say anything for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, which I also think are very justified. What does get like, so I get why Merlin does what he does. I get it. Um, I'm not a big fan, but I get it. And I don't condemn him for doing it. What does get me and what I do condemn him for not doing is that he kill, like he gives her the drink. And once she realizes what is happening, he doesn't say anything to her. And that is, I feel, very unkind. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I had to do this. You're the cause of this of this sleeping curse. Uh, so he doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't explain his actions. And she just, she looks so frightened and confused. And like, I can see on his face that this hurts him. I can't understand, like, I can see on his face how much this hurts him, how much he did not want to do this and felt like he had to do this in order to save everyone. Like, it's it's hurting him. You can see this on his face. But, like, he doesn't say anything to Morgana. And that's where I feel like if he had said something to Morgana, if he had said, I'm so sorry, I have to do this. It's the only way to save everybody else. And so on and so forth. Maybe... And this is a strong, like, this is not a strong maybe. This is a weak maybe. But maybe uh, when Morgana comes back in season three, she wouldn't have been quite so resentful of Merlin, especially. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because she might have understood, okay, he didn't have any other choice and he, he was really broken up about it. But, like, I mean, it's all just, you know. It's all wishful easy. thinking and uh, head cannoning yeah. and what ifs and so on and so forth. It's just like that's that's the thing that 
that's honestly the one thing where I was like, this is what I don't understand. Like I, I can follow Merlin's logic to the conclusion that he has to kill Morgana and that he does it in this way. What I don't understand is why he wouldn't talk to her while she is dying in his arms. I think um, your point about them having this as like a final moment to try and have a conversation, like I know it feels like it could be a possibility because we are from like an external point of view and we have all the information. But at the end of the day, the only thing that Merlin has been told for certain is that Morgana is the source of whatever this is. And it is a logical conclusion to assume that Morgos is also a secondary kind of um, source because she cast the spell. But because the spell is a living, breathing thing, that that's what Kilgara said, it, it, it's, it lives inside the vessel that is Morgana. There's nothing necessarily to suggest that if Morgos died... Um, it would do anything or like maybe but it's not a guarantee and the problem is is that um, because Arthur is already out there fighting the knights they don't actually know where Morgos is at the moment and Merlin can't risk going to look because he's seconds away from falling asleep as it is he has to protect Uther he has to keep an eye on Morgana and even if he were to come face to face with Morgos he's so weakened at this point there's no way he could go toe to toe with her and Morgana is not strong enough or would be willing to use magic in front of Arthur or could fight her off anyway. And Arthur can't fight her off. So I really think that in this particular instance, alone with Morgana and just basically armed with the poison, he is very much backed into a corner. I think if he had been at his full strength, if there wasn't this ticking clock, if he wasn't about to just pass out, maybe I could have seen him making that decision. But I think... It's because of that ticking clock and because he's like, and Arthur being on the other side of the door. I mean, he's also basically trying to save his life too. And he, I know he doesn't have much time to do it because Arthur, you know, was falling asleep on the door as well. It's kind of a perfect tragedy really, because yeah, it's, it's just a sleeping curse, but it basically means that they're completely useless. Like anything that they would normally be able to do, they're completely taken out of it but um it's interesting that you don't like the fact that he doesn't say anything to her because my favorite thing about this death scene is the fact that they don't say a word to each other that it's all basically through their eyes because my favorite thing um that happens actually is what once he gives her the drink and he sees that she takes a sip he turns his back on her because he can't you know he can't actually look and it's so um it's so brilliant because obviously we have Merlin in the foreground and Morgana in the background and she's basically doing her thing and we see her cough and then then we get a close-up of her kind of realizing what's happening but like before that she's just kind of like coughing because she maybe I don't know thought it tasted weird or the poison's taking effect or maybe she's got COVID or maybe she's got COVID which is a whole other reason why people are falling asleep around them um but like um when he turns around and she gives him uh, kind of a look that I kind of decipher to mean did you do this and he nods as if to say yes it was me I think um, I think from Merlin's perspective uh, I genuinely believe that I don't think he was in any mental capacity to say a word what I'm trying to think what I would say if it were me I don't think there is anything I could possibly say to make it better all he does 
is try to physically comfort her. He tries to get down to her level, which is what actually broke my heart. Like this scene completely broke me. Like I've watched it so many times over the years, but when I first saw this, when I first saw it airing on a Saturday night, it broke me. I've never seen anything like it. You know, someone poisoning their friend standing right in front of their face and then physically trying to comfort them because they know that, you know, it had to be done. And it was, there was something so like raw and human about it. Like the fact that he tried to hold her and she tries to fight him off at first because she's obviously angry, but then she's so frightened of dying that she ends up conceding and just laying in his arms. And it was like, so heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking and i think it's that moment of her just conceding and deciding to just die in his arms that was like absolute oh it just absolutely like gives me goosebumps but i can see what you mean like or maybe he should have said something but i feel like maybe like for me personally i think it would have been fine like either way but what i love about the scene is the fact that the the moment isn't ruined by like dialogue. I think it would have been a bit on the nose. I think there's something really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's something really sinister and kind of uh, final about the fact that they just don't talk to each other and Merlin doesn't get to say anything or can't say anything because he's too uh, too moved. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to be him in that moment. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to be him. It's such an amazing scene, though. I mean, just the way it's shot and um, and the acting. I think Katie does an amazing job as well. Um, some of her, like, I'm dying acting is like, I don't know. I mean, I've never been poisoned, so I don't know what it feels like. But um, uh, just kind of like the way that she's like trying to breathe. And like I said, the way she tries to get him off of her and then just fails. It's, oh... It's so heartbreaking. And obviously he quite like he doesn't even look at her then. He looks up to the ceiling because he can't because he can't look. All like all he does is just hold her. It's just it's really savage. It's incredibly like brutal is what I'll say, but it's pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> like, can you imagine Merlin did this? Like not Merlin the character, I mean Merlin the show. Like that it went to these places. Cause I can't. Still. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is Merlin. I mean, obviously, like, Merlin doesn't ever do like Merlin doesn't make the hard calls. You know, he even backed out of killing Mordred several times, even when he's like Banff Merlin. He never actually went there, but here he murders Morgana just flat out because because he has to. That's kind of like unprecedented for him as a character and as a show. Yeah, I mean, Mordred in season one and two is still a child. Which to Merlin probably is a whole different mindset. And like, apart from, like, Mordred has so far only killed these bunch of guards, I think. Mm. Whereas, as you said, Merlin has more stuff stacked against Morgana at this point. So, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I just think that based on his track record of saying he's going to kill someone and then chickening out, um this is a pretty big deal for him like he doesn't you know he he doesn't do this kind of thing he doesn't actually follow through on a threat or follow through on something that the dragon tells him to do so i think it's just uh it's a monumental decision for him to make i'm kind of weirdly proud of him because i really think that he could have easily just chickened out and been like oh i'll try and find some other way 
But um, if he hadn't done that, then Morgotos would never have lifted. Like, they would have all died. Like, every single one of them would have died had he not done what he'd done. And I think that it's, um, uh, yeah, a real um, a real sign of uh, change for him as a character because he definitely would not have made that decision even, I think, a season ago. I don't know what he would have done instead. Like, I generally don't know what other options would have been available to him, but the fact that he kind of takes that leap, I think, is... Um, yeah, it's uh, it is an absolute turning point in the entire series, and the fact that it happens in season two so early on as well is really cool. And then Morgos comes in, which um, also uh, kind of answers the question as to why Morgos is immune to the spell as well. And I assume it's because she, uh, I I assume that the spell was done by some kind of blood magic, because uh, she and Morgana obviously are related. So. Uh, yeah, Morgos, um, and and this is the thing about Morgos, because we obviously talk about how Morgos doesn't really care about Morgana, and I do think that there is a certain part of that, but the way that she reacts to seeing her here, I feel, is a really human response, you know? I was about to say that in the past, I've thought that Morgos only cares about Morgana as a pawn that she can use, but like watching this scene, I don't think so, because she had the chance to take Camelot and kill Uther, like she was only like seconds away from having that victory, but she didn't for the sake of saving Morgana's life. And I think that she used her as the vessel because she didn't think that anyone would kill her or know to kill her. So she thought that this was safe for Morgana is how I'm looking at this yeah. episode now. Yeah. Ah, gosh. And then let's not forget, at the end, Mogos teleports. A skill which Merlin will not have learned by the end of this show, even though he's supposedly all-powerful, and even more so when he comes out of the Crystal Cave in the uh, finale. So, um... Uh, uh, frustrations! So, Morgana disappears with Mogos. Everybody wakes up. Um, oh, and also we do have a bit of a moment with Bounce Merlin where he actually kind of, you know... Uh, puts an ultimatum on the table and he has the upper hand really because you know Morgo says if you don't uh give me the poison you'll die and he's like well so will she <laughs> so um you better just give me what I want and I think that um that's kind of cool I wonder if he I I wonder if he knew that Morgos would come running I don't know no I don't think so because I feel like if he had known that Morgos would come running he might have used something that only makes it look like Morgana is dying. Yeah. Maybe, right? Yeah. So if it had been designed to be a trap, then uh, I think he would have chosen a different poison that would have killed Morgana maybe a little bit more slowly. Yeah. At the very least. So... <sighs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, basically that's the end of that entire sequence and that uh and that act of the episode, which is incredible. And we have a very touching moment between um Uther and Arthur where Uther's holding Morgana's necklace and mourning her loss. Um and uh Arthur, like they're both feeling kind of equally guilty and uh, they have a very sweet moment where Uther thanks Arthur for everything that he did and it's um and it's really, really lovely. Uh, and the sign of things to come for Uther's year-long search for uh, for Morgana, which I think is um, which is really incredible. Yeah, I love that Uther says it was my duty to protect her. Her loss will forever be on my conscience. Yeah, because this has so many layers. Mm -hmm. Like, um, 
like on the surface it just shows how much she means to him mm-hmm. and i think this is where the writers decided that she would be his daughter in season three. Oh yeah they already knew at this point 100 percent yeah they didn't know at the beginning of season two i'm pretty sure but they definitely knew at the end and it's also an interesting line when you take Morgana's motivation into consideration because Uther thinks he failed to physically protect her from harm. But from Morgana's point of view, he failed her by hating her kind and by extension hating her, even though he didn't know that. And so her loss is his fault. He thinks he didn't stop her abduction and she knows that if he'd been kinder to magic users and made it safer for her to be true to who she is, they could still be a family. Yeah. So I find this line very, very meta. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we have a really beautiful scene between Merlin and Gaius, which is un- uncharacteristically just silent. And what, I mean, I think it's perfect because Gaius, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's really wonderful because there isn't this clunky transition where Merlin has to explain what he did. We assume he already did at some point in the past tell Gaius what he did. And now he's just completely traumatized by what he had to do and is just sitting there and Gaius so gently and so kindly explaining to him why he did the right thing. And I just really love this moment between them and him saying, if you hadn't done what you've done, none of us would be sitting here right now. And it's just, you know, from a wise man to a young boy, right? (laughs) Just trying to make it better. It's touching. And then... Merlin goes to get the sword and oh boy (laughs) um it's a really it's it's interesting because I feel like an audience member we've completely forgotten about that and we maybe don't even expect that to happen in this episode right like yeah I don't think that that's something we think is gonna be on the cards and I think we all assume that you know they would drag it out until the next season just like you drag it out from season one to season two and then it would happen sometime during season three because we didn't know yet that there was going to be a time jump yeah exactly. between season two and three yeah absolutely um and then uh there's a moment where merlin has a, just one last kind of plea because i think he knows deep down that things aren't going to go as well as he hopes and he says promise me you will not harm camelot just because he knows he doesn't have a choice he has to free him because he promised but he's trying to mitigate the disaster that's coming and it's just and it's no use and so he and and, but can you imagine having to make a decision that you know is going to cost lives but you don't have a choice yeah i mean i can't imagine what i find i mean this is taking a little bit away from next episode but like the dragon has been going on and on and on about protecting Camelot and protecting Arthur, and then he goes and tries to burn down Camelot and, by extension, Arthur. <laughs> Just like, yeah, it's... if this doesn't tell you what a big hypocrite the overgrown basement lizard is, then I don't know what will. I wish I knew what what his point was in this entire narrative, and I feel like the writers didn't really know either. To be quite honest with you. They were all building up to free the dragon, free the dragon, free the dragon. And then they were like, oh, now what? <laughs> yeah. Um, they needed the Deus Ex Machina for, for oh, Merlin, yeah. the one source that would always give him 
yeah um a way out of the disaster which is exactly why merlin becomes a dragon lord in the next episode because now they've taken away his deus ex machina they need to give him back his deus ex machina somehow yeah, exactly. so we make merlin into this into this dude who can basically he's basically a horse whisperer but for dragons he's a dragon whisperer so like they do a beautiful job of the sound design on the uh Merlin's spell to uh, set him free that it kind of goes completely silent right before he slams the sword into the chain and then the dragon is free and we get the shot from the opening credits finally of him swooping in a big arc up towards the uh, camera and then cut to black and that is the final and it's also uh, you know we get the next promo which is the dun which they've now used for all season finales like they they just always use that for every season finale and yeah that is the fires of you to show us yay tell us what you thought about the episode and especially you know we love these episodes where there's a big moral conundrum i mean it i mean in my head it's not that complicated but i know that it's a very uh, nuanced problem that Merlin has to deal with just like he did in the beginning of the end and just like he did um, in a lot of these Morgana-centric episodes. And as he will going forward, I'm sure that we're going to have many more of these kinds of moral conversations when we get to episodes like the Crystal Cave and like the Jazir in future seasons. So, uh, and even his father's son, you know, that's got a huge moral question there for Arthur. And those are those are my favorite episodes to get into on Merlis and like really kind of take them apart and go, what's the right thing to do? <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, that is the episode. Tell us what you thought about it. Next time, we're going to review The Last Dragon Lord. Finally, the last episode of season two. Uh, Rox, why don't you tell us where you can be found? Sure. I'm Miss Snowfox on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm also Miss Snowfox on AO3, but I don't really write Merlin Fick at there at the moment, and I definitely won't be in the near future. But if for some reason you are a Haikyuu fan and you read Haikyuu Fick, then you can go find me on AO3, so that's where I am. I'm Zencredible on AO3, where I post fanfic sometimes. And Zen underscore reads on also on AO3 where I post podfix sometimes. You can also find me on Tumblr as Creative Agusa or Zencredible27. And in the latter, I reblog educational stuff, a lot of art, and some fun things. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Merlison. All other music used in this episode comes from freesound.org. The man up on our cover was made by Brolin's Keep, and the cover was made by me. Until next time, I've been Zencredible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. Bye, guys. Bye.